Could this be the TCC episode that turns Rob Marsh into a vegan? Possibly, or maybe this conversation simply highlights a gigantic opportunity for our community of copywriters and content writers and marketing strategists. We're talking about a fast-growing industry that is estimated to be worth $7 billion um, and growing. We're talking about the plant-based food space and cruelty-free products. And today we're talking with content strategist, cruelty-free copywriter, and our guest on the Copywriter Club podcast today, Topaz Hooper. Topaz chose her niche based on her morals and values, and she's built a six-figure business out of it. She's also managed to snag a huge client that we don't actually mention in this episode. We never actually name the client, but if you do a quick Google or quick LinkedIn search of Topaz, you'll quickly figure out the client that we're talking about in this conversation. You won't want to miss everything Topaz is about to share with us. But first, I have a special guest as my co-host today. Um, so I am so lucky to be here with co-host Mike Garner. Mike is a, an Accelerator alumni member, a current uh, member of the Think Tank Mastermind. Um, Mike is finishing, about to finish a book, his first book. Or did you just finish it, Mike? Uh, it's in, I'm just finishing the first <laughs> draft. I'm editing. It's editing in editing mode. Um, <clears throat> Mike is also an incredible email copywriter. Um, and we just figured that out after working together on uh, an email sequence recently. Uh, with so much talent and so much uh, experience to share with us. So I feel grateful that you're here, Mike. Um, is there anything else you want to share that's really important to know about you before we can? Um, I feel slightly slightly embarrassed at an introduction like that. Um, yeah, I, I've been a copywriter for far too many years that I care to remember. I was a translator before that. And, and like you say, I, I fell out of the accelerator into the think tank because I wanted to build more than just an okay business. Mm. And that's actually happening at the moment. And I'm sure we're going to talk more about that as we reflect on this, this conversation with Topaz. Mm -hmm. um, first, you know, we like to sponsor our episodes. So this podcast is sponsored by the Copywriter Accelerator Program. You're going to hear a little bit about it in today's episode. Um, Topaz uh, was a member of the program. Mike as well, like we just mentioned. Um, it's a business builder that we're about to kick off in September. It's an intensive where we work closely with copywriters who want to focus on the business building aspect of launching or pivoting their copywriting career. And Mike, maybe you can just share one or two sentences about the key benefit from your perspective after having been through the program. I think the main benefit is is apart from what you learn and the ability to, the, the, the the ability to kind of put everything all in one place because you you could do this on your own to be quite frank it would take you much longer to do 
um, and you're benefiting from the previous experience of other people. But I think the major, the major, major, major benefit is is the community. It's it's just being able to talk to other people every time things go well or not so well. You've always got you've got a a, a large community of people that you can just draw from and give to. Yes, and people, it's people like Mike, um, people like Topaz, who you will soon meet. So if you have any interest in the Copywriter Accelerator, don't wait because we only launch it and run it twice a year. And again, we're about to start in September. So you can check out a link to um, explore this opportunity uh, in our show notes and on our website. Okay, so let's get into the interview with Topaz. All right, so Topaz, we're going to kick this off with your story. How did you end up as a copywriter? Okay, so first thing, I started writing when I was 11. I knew that writing was my communication of choice since then. I was writing poetry and processing all those 11-year-old feelings that people have. And I realized that I wanted to be a writer. Of course, family, parents, oh, aren't you going to be a doctor or politician or something more useful? You know, that conversation happened. So it was sort of a windy journey after that. I um, decided to go vegan in 2015 and started a plant-based coaching program in 2018 to get more people to go vegan or plant-based. And what happened was I started writing my own copy. I was like, sort of teaching myself how to write copy. I didn't have the word for it then, but I did know that I wanted people to enroll in my coaching program. I wanted them to feel comfortable with me. I wanted them to be engaged in my email and I was just figuring it out. So in 2018, when my coaching program was starting to get leads, starting to get enrollments, I'm like, oh, this writing thing can be more than just poetry. So after that, when 2020 hit, we all know what happened in 2019, 2020, I had that sort of mid-pandemic crisis where I thought, I think I'm ready to pivot from weird, odd jobs and um, different avenues to being a full-time writer. So I decided at that point to take three months of courses. I really was not knowledgeable about copywriting back in 2020, but I took a bunch of courses, read a bunch of books, joined the Copywriter Club, Facebook group, listened to the podcast, And after three months, I landed my first full-time copywriting role at a supplement company in my city of Boulder, Colorado. So that's how it all happened. And then I learned on the job and now I'm here with my own business. I don't want to skip over the vegan thing, but you're, you're sitting here with a a pretty decent meat eater. (laughs) Give me the, the two minute pitch on why I need to be eating more veggies. Even if I can't give up meat altogether, like, you know, help me be healthier. Okay. Here's, here's my one sentence pitch. If you want to save the world, go vegan. I say that, (laughs) I say that because the environmental impacts are tremendous with going vegan. You reduce the amount of animals that are eaten, which means you reduce the amount of methane that's produced, which means you reduce the amount of water that's used, which means that you reduce the amount of forests that are cut down. And so there's environmental impacts to going vegan that can be really as simple as just having a salad once a day or choosing to have one meat-free meal. And that simple change can change some of our climate. You also can change your health. Eating more vegetables and fruits can help you feel better and 
maybe be nicer like me. I'm nicer with more fruits and vegetables on a day to day. And that alone might change your relationships, might change how you show up in the world or on podcasts or with friends or family. And that can change how you feel and how other people feel about you, which can change the world. So there's all kinds of benefits in that way. But for me, it was mostly the lazy environmentalist perspective that got me into it and a little bit of the health perspective that helps me show up and feel better every day. I like that. So while I'm thinking about this, if I were to experiment with it and say, okay, I want to try it out. Not, com- I'm not committed yet, but how long until I start to feel some pretty good effects to say, oh yeah, okay, this is a good thing. Or if, if like after three weeks, I'm still craving bacon, you know, I go back to the old me and destroy the world. <laughs> okay. Fortunately, we have bacon alternatives that you may or may not be satisfied with at first, but I think after about a month, you'll start to feel like, oh, okay, I'm feeling a little lighter, my mood's a little better, that weird ache that I keep having in my back kind of went away. You know, it it starts to have those impacts, I would say about a month in, but maybe after the first week, you might start feeling a little bit lighter. So I would say give it like a month, a meat-free month. I may give it a try. You got me thinking. (laughs) I may, I'm not ready to commit, but I might do it. We'll see. There are baby steps. Yeah, I'm I'm working. I'm not all the way, but like I'm definitely moving in that direction. I think there are really great chicken alternatives now, which is really cool. Beef alternatives, but I haven't found the bacon alternative that is even, I mean, it doesn't have to be the same, but like even in the same ballpark. So I'm open to your list and your resources and suggestions for that. Before we move on from this, I guess I'm just curious when 2015, when you did go vegan, was it, how was that experience for you? Was it just like, I'm in, I'm motivated. I'm ripping the mandate off. This is it. Or did you have to ease into it? Like, I feel like I'm easing into it. It's not just night and day difference for me. Totally. I don't recommend ripping the bandaid off. I was a vegetarian for three years prior to that. So I was already sort of meat free by pure accident. I live in Colorado. So there's a lot of beautiful mountains around. You can go hiking. And I decided to go on a 10 day backpacking trip in the mountains. And of course, when you're backpacking, you can't carry anything that needs a refrigerator like cheese, milk, eggs. So I just packed my macaroni and cheese in a box and kind of dry goods. What that did was it weaned me off of meat for 10 days. And after that trip, I was like, I I kind of feel better. So that was around 2011, 2012. I became a vegetarian at that point. So I was a vegetarian most of this time. I was still eating cheese and milk and all that stuff later, but no meat. So in 2015, when I went to a veg fest in my then city of Tampa, I had moved to Tampa at that point, I just saw a really gnarly animal cruelty video. I I would definitely say if you like meat, don't watch any of those videos. They will really change your mind. And after that, I said, you know, I think I can let go of the rest. So my body was already sort of accustomed to no meat. And then in 2015, that's when I went cold turkey and said no cheese, no, no milk, and uh, decided to teach myself how to make almond milk and teach myself how to make burgers out of black beans and bacon out of eggplant and all kinds of different things. So that's how it happened for me. And so this October will be my seventh anniversary as a vegan. How I'm still alive and well, my family does not know, but (laughs) still feel like uh, there's still so much fun to have with eating eating plant-based. All right. So I wasn't intending to turn our podcast interview into the vegan show, but I am curious, like as you were coaching and and doing that, like what did you learn from the coaching experience that applies to what you do as a copywriter today? 
Yeah. I was learning about the transformation. So I know as copywriters, many of us are conversion copywriting friends know that you have to show the before and after, you know, what was somebody going through prior to your product or service and what will they experience after your product or service? Listening to the coaching calls with my clients at that time, hearing them say, listen, I am a working mother. I don't have time to do all this cooking or, you know, I've only eaten meat my whole life. How am I supposed to learn how to make a burger out of black beans? Learning those struggles helped me shape my copy, helped me understand that saying that you'll be a healthier vegan is one thing, but showing the transformation of maybe you'll feel less stressed after you go vegan. Maybe your child will also teach you something interesting about vegetables that you may not know. And so listening to their struggles helped me understand that the transformation is key in almost every copywriting project that I work with now. What is the impact of their struggles and how can this product or service change them? I think that fundamental didn't really hit me at the time until I started my copywriting business and started really getting into this in 2020. But prior to that, it was becoming clear to me that people want change and we have to prove it with our copy and with our services, products and actions. Where do you think copywriters or just business owners in general go wrong with the transformation and illustrating the transformation? Because sometimes I think I think we overthink it when it really is simple. It's before, after. I think people promise too much upfront. And that's what I made the total mistake of too in my, in my business prior to having more clients when I was just writing the copy. I didn't, I, I was promising these overnight successes like, oh, if you go vegan tomorrow, you'll feel better on like Friday. I think that was a mistake. I think some coaches, especially if they're new, don't have any case studies about the length of time it would take to show that transformation. So they promise a lot upfront. And if it doesn't turn out that way, customers, clients who opted in are a little confused and kind of, um, I guess, disappointed by the result. And I think it's important for copywriters, if they're writing for particularly the coaching niche, but any niche to just be very clear about what is going to happen. Be pragmatic and honest about what is going to happen, what's out of our control and what's in and what's in our control. And so if I were looking back now at my old former coaching self, I would say, don't promise that someone's going to lose 50 pounds tomorrow. <laughs> promise that they will feel better in some way that they haven't before. I think that's more realistic than the numeric. And some people may lose the weight and some people may not. And just not falling into the pit of promising too much upfront. And then also letting those one-on-one calls with your clients shine too, because sometimes you get information from those one-on-ones or from those post-program coaching calls that actually improve your copy for the next time and show you benefits and results that you never thought were possible. So I think, yeah, being realistic, but also using those testimonials after the program to make your copy more honest. I like that. Okay. So let's jump to, you got a a full-time job as a copywriter working in-house. Tell us about that experience, you know, the kinds of things that you were able to work on, the kinds of feedback that you got. I'm a big proponent of of copywriters taking in-house positions because it's a great way to learn copy. Was that your experience? And, you know, tell us how that all came about. Yes. I felt so lucky to get paid by someone by to 
to teach me. I was learning totally on the job. I'd never written copy officially before. And in that role, I was the first copywriter they had ever hired in-house. They were usually doing contract work with freelancers prior to that, or their marketing manager was doing it all. They were a bootstrap startup. This might sound familiar to some of the people listening here that the startup scene, people do everything. They have eight hats. You know, there is no delineation between roles, but this was their first investment in a copywriter. So they were were really banking on me and they were really invested in making sure that whatever courses I needed to take, whatever seminars I needed to go to, that I would go to them, they would pay for it and I could just absorb. That was a treat because I went to some podcasts, some webinars, some sessions that really changed my life. And I was able to take what I learned there home. So the structure of that company was that there was a brand marketing manager above me, a social media person to my right, and a blog writer to my left. We all had totally different roles, but we collaborated very closely with each other's work. And I found that my copywriting experience really lifted up the social media person and lifted up the blog writer. And gave some sense to our larger funnel. So I found that being an in-person copywriter was an asset to almost everyone on the team. They were like, how do I word this better to increase conversions? You know, what's wrong with my blog post? How come no one is clicking through to the CTA? Or why isn't the social post engaging people? And I was able to use my skills in that way to just be a really helpful team member. I think copywriters who are considering going into full-time roles in their beginning stages of their business have a big advantage in that. Using that time to learn, to get paid to learn, to make mistakes, to not get fired for making those mistakes because usually it's more forgiving than starting out freelance and not really having any experience and then having some bad client testimonials. And so letting that space be your incubator for growth, for development is like, it was one of the most transformational parts of my journey. And I really have to thank that brand for taking a chance on me because if I were them, I don't know if I would have taken a chance on a three month copywriter, but that's just me. Okay. So that was, and maybe I'm losing track, but that was the first gig that you mentioned that after three months you got the first client. So it was in-house at that point. Okay. Exactly. Yes. Okay. And can you fast forward then to today, kind of where, how your business has grown over the last few years? Yeah. So I was with that brand for almost two years and I started to see on LinkedIn in December, 2021, that there was a crazy amount of copywriter roles on LinkedIn. I realized that the demand for copywriting just soared after the pandemic took off. I think people just realized there was a lot of online presence that they were missing in their business since the pandemic put everyone online and they were like, we need to hire copywriters right now. So after two years with this brand, I realized that I could do more. But deep in my heart, I knew that I didn't want to work for another company. I just wanted to run my own thing. I think I'm a solopreneur at heart anyway. And so having all my experience, having a great portfolio with this company, and having all the demand for freelance copywriting made me say, okay, I think I'm ready to start my LLC. So in 2021, I started an LLC and started using my former client's work with permission to generate my portfolio. And at first I started out with health and wellness because the the company I was working for at that time was a supplement brand and it made sense to do health and wellness. And then I said, this isn't feeling right. I don't want to sell pills or magic bullets. I want to 
help people grow their coaching business or help plant-based providers get more people to drink almond milk or get more people to buy a cruelty-free beauty product. So I branded myself in 2022 as the cruelty-free copywriter. We're recording this in August. And even after just six months in business, starting everything from scratch, the logo, the colors, the branding, everything, I've already hit several 10K per month income wins. And I'm on track to make six figures by the end of the year. All of that while totally taking a leap on my business, not being totally sure it was all going to work out, being a solopreneur with almost no help and not burning myself out at the end. Interestingly enough, I work less hours than I did before. I sleep more and, um, and I have so much more free time than I thought I would as a solopreneur. So at this point in my business, I'm just serving plant-based, cruelty-free, vegan businesses who are looking to make an impact. And um, that's clean beauty, sustainable fashion, and plant-based consumer packaged goods. So it's been a dream. I feel like I get to work with the clients I love and I get to make the kind of money that I've only heard of on podcasts <laughs> like this one. <laughs> like this one, like you're talking about. Yeah. So, so let's dig into the money bit just a little bit. If you're willing to share, how much were you making roughly uh, working in-house? In-house, I started with 36000 Okay. After one year, I negotiated 48000 Okay. And then I was like, I think I can make more. And now I'm on track to make six figures this year. Yeah. So in two years, you've gone from 36000 to being on track for six figures, which is, I mean, that's, that's life-changing. Totally. I mean, I'm one of the many millennials that went to school and got student loan debt and felt that I couldn't buy a house and I couldn't do certain things. And now having a business that works for me and makes me this amount of money really allows me to manifest all the things that I want to do. And it's just the level of freedom with that is immeasurable, even if it doesn't have the safety net of a full-time business. So I imagine a lot of people are listening and thinking, okay, I want to do that. Walk us through like at least, I mean, I, I'm guessing you've probably identified two or three things that you've done in your business that have allowed, allowed you to go from 36 to 100,000 plus in a two-year period. What are those things? Oh boy. I think running a lean and mean machine is the best way to do it for me. I liked the idea of being a solopreneur because if there wasn't any money coming in, I was the only one that was affected. I liked that part of it. I didn't want to be an employer to anybody. So I didn't want to go the agency route. When I think when you start a business, I think being lean and mean at the beginning is really, really great. And so for me, I started by just investing in my skills. All of my income either went to savings or to investing in courses or going to the copywriter club in real life or, or investing in masterminds. They were just personal development because those were going to increase my income more than really almost any other investment at that time. So I would say for copywriters who are just getting started, they're like, I want to hit that, you know, six figure mark. I would say starting with yourself, investing in yourself is going to be the biggest payoff at the very beginning. Even if it's just a hundred dollars a month, um, or $200 a month on courses, whatever you can do to make yourself competitive in the market, I think is going to really help you. It helped me. Um, also, if you're broke, like I was at the beginning, all those free Skillshare uh, courses and Coursera and all the 
kind of sleazy lead magnet opt-ins on Facebook that I went into were great sources of knowledge for free that helped me build the skills to become a good copywriter. I would also say one thing that most people don't think about at the beginning is building relationships. I would say at the beginning, my priority wasn't to make money. It was to build friendships with clients that I would love to work with. I was like going to all their events, introducing myself to the to the CEOs, being super, super kind, super, super giving, buying their products if I was able to, vouching for them on social media. And that level of, of fan, fandom really helped them say, you know, this person's serious about me. I think I want to return the favor. Are you a copywriter? I heard you were. And even if you were a super new person, just building that relationship can can pay off in the in the long run if you're brand brand new. And so that was another investment that I made that wasn't financial, it was just a business development piece. So and one final thing I would say, I'm not a huge fan of doing work for free, but I am a fan of offering to do work for brands you really really love and letting them know that if they like what you did, you're available for more. I think building a portfolio is really important when you're first starting out, because if you can't get some examples under your belt, it's going to be hard to pitch the bigger businesses or the bigger brands that you really, really want to work with. And so there was a couple of times that I offered to help a friend update their website or an artist make make their art descriptions or help my former teacher um, write a letter to her colleagues, something very simple, but it really helps to build the portfolio so that when you're ready to start pitching higher clients, you have something to show for it. And so I would say those don't cost too much money, those three steps, but they are what helped me scale to six figures, that portfolio, those relationships, and investing in my education and skill set. Well, let's talk about the flip side of it. You know, What are some mistakes you made along the way if you're open to sharing? What would you warn others who are trying to build the six-figure business not to do maybe? I'm curious. Don't undercharge. I know it's it sounds so simple, but when you're new, you don't have, or at least I didn't have the confidence to say, no, that blog post is $400 a piece. I was so scared of even the $50 no that I sold myself short early. I think new copywriters, if they have a portfolio and something to show, they should look at the competitive prices of their coworkers or their fellow copywriters and see what other people are being charged or what other people are charging for their work. I think selling yourself short can cause you to burn out early. And that's what I did. I was writing a bunch of things for $50 each. I was burning out because I couldn't write enough, you know, 600 word articles or enough website copy to make ends meet. And I think the confidence to raise my rates to something that was competitive with other copywriters, but also spoke to the value of what I was providing, helped me have one or two clients and pay my bills for the entire month with excess for savings. And so I think that's the real secret in that way is to find somewhere deep inside the, the confidence or the mentorship or the friends or the colleagues or the coworkers that'll affirm for you that your rates are, are, are worthy or that you should raise them. Um, I have a copywriter friend recently who said that she does social media captions and she charges $1,200 a month for, for retainer and an agency she was pitching 
really lowballed her. And she was feeling like, oh my gosh, am I charging too much? And I really had to be that copywriter friend for her and said, no, you're not charging too much. You've been doing this for five years. You show results for your clients. They love your work. You're not like, don't let them gaslight you. (laughs) And so I think copywriters like myself early on need to just have that confidence to say, it hurts, but I'm going to raise my rates $100 this month, or I'm going to raise my rates $400 this year. And just face that, face that urge to not do it. That was one thing that I, it took me forever to do. And then another thing I would make the mistake of doing is I pleased a lot of clients, but I never got testimonials. Yikes. Testimonials are so important. I now realize now my page is full of like a bunch of testimonials. I'm like, write them all on my LinkedIn. I want everyone to see them. Collect testimonials if you if you can, because once the client is gone, it's been two years, three years, they don't really, especially if they were like a one-time client, they don't really remember how they felt about the work. They don't really remember you maybe. And it's going to be hard to get that that testimonial later. So get them as soon as you can when they're hot, when the client's happy, when they're in the mood and store them up. Do you have secrets, Topaz, for gathering up the testimonials? What's that pitch to your client look like? Oh boy. It's not as a, it's not as original. I would just say, um, I had one client who I've worked with many of their marketing managers prior and they had a lot of turnover. So I felt like I was asking different managers for the same testimonial, but I said, you know, I've written X amount for you all, or I've done this amount of copy for you. I hope it's converting. I'm just wondering if you would be able to take a few moments to write a LinkedIn testimonial for me. It would really help me out. I don't think you have to be creative or clever to get those testimonials. I just think we have to remember to not forget. And so even though I worked with many co- many uh, marketing managers from this company, I was able to, to get like four really glowing reviews from four of them. And so I think it's important just to not forget and I would send an email. I wouldn't do it on social media. I think it's better if you collect the testimonial in text versus video. That's my opinion. But I know many copywriters prefer video testimonials. I think they're powerful. But I think text can be really great too. So however you get it, get it. But I think it's lower hanging fruit for businesses to write you a written one than to get on a call with you and do a video one. They would have to really, really love you <laughs> to do that. And um and if you can get them, great. So I would just say, don't forget, doesn't have to be fancy. Just uh, be sure to follow up. All right, let's break in here. Mike, what stood out the most to you as we uh, worked through this first part of the interview? I think it's uh, lots of people that I've known in the past that have become copywriters and specialized, but Topaz did it the other way around, really, was was a, was a coach who became a vegan um, and then, or or plant-based, and and then started writing her own copy and thought, what started getting results and think, well, I'm quite good at this. Let's do it a bit more and a bit more. And eventually just eventually just segued segued into, into beating and into being a, um, a copywriter in her own right. And then having a, finding a, a kind of a wonderful niche, that um, is is very profitable at the moment. Yeah, and I think you know her niche is based on her values and principles, morals, mm-hmm. and um, 
we talk a lot about niching on the podcast and in all of our programs, and there's so many different ways you can do it. I think it's actually a creative process, which is probably why I I like talking about it because there's no one way to do it. And you don't have to just simply niche down based on the deliverable or even on an industry. A lot of copywriters say, well, I don't, I like variety. I don't just want to work with one industry and you don't have to. And so it's also great to start to see more examples um, because we don't see quite as many, uh, but I think this will change examples of copywriters who are niching down based primarily on their values. Um, there, there are other ways they're niching down, right? It still could be uh, the problem they're solving and maybe a deliverable that they're creating, but mm. this is part of the conversation, which I think is, you know, totally <clears throat> has a great example of this other way that you can niche down. And I can't help feeling as well, when you do niche down in terms of your values and what you know, it's much easier to do rather than choosing a random sector that you know a little bit perhaps or you may or may not believe in that much if 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 it comes from inside that makes it more genuine and easier to do yeah and it's easier to do that because you are already a customer in that space so it's so much easier for topaz to mm. attend these conferences and be part of these different communities because she's already in she already is a community member she already would attend yeah. those events anyway and now she can just integrate it into business and it makes it more feel more natural and seamless and so um i think especially for anyone who's trying to figure out the next niche that is worth exploring you know starting with where, what are you already purchasing on a regular basis? Starting there is an easier way of looking at it. It's, it's the best way of understanding the mindset of your potential customers, really, yeah. getting into their heads. Because if you're already there anyway, then there's no, there's no jump to make. Yeah, and Mike, because we're talking about niching, like how have you approached it? What's worked for you? What hasn't worked I, for you? I'm, to be honest, I'm still, I'm still in that process. I haven't... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm on values as well. I haven't entirely worked out. I mean, I know kind of the values I want to to, to base my issue at the moment, and which I'm working through. I've, I've worked through in think tank, then sorry, in the accelerator and in think tank as well. Getting there slowly is actually identifying the clients, mm-hmm. um, which is part of the process. Yes, yes, um, but you have you have also niched down based on some of the deliverables. And the problems that you're solving, even more recently, it's been clear. Oh, I see what you mean. Yes, yes, certainly. Um, it's it's in in terms of voice and and because I found a lot of people when they get down to writing things have no idea what they want to say, um, and they've no idea how to be genuine. Um, so they kind of trot out the the standard um, um, cookie cutter type type copy. And it kind of works, but it, it's not genuine. Um, and what I'm really interested in is in pe- people that look at their stories um, and and use that as a start, use them as a starting point. Because sometimes people just aren't in. They think, why would anybody be interested in what I've got to say? Um, and actually, people are. Yeah. Yep. And. Um- Going back even to Topaz's story and, and just going vegan, um, I really appreciated the quote she shared when she, you know, when Rob was like, okay, pitch me on why I should go vegan. And yeah. Topaz said, if you want to save the world, 
go vegan. And to me, mm. that's, <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's hard to argue. Line. It's hard to argue with that. And it's, it's um, a good one-liner. Yeah. It's a great one-liner. And so I know we talked a little bit about kind of the process and how I'm trying to like go in that direction, but I'm not fully there. And I just appreciate those conversations when um, we can be open about wanting to make changes and wanting transformations in our lives, but not like, it's not just easy. You can't just flip a switch and make that for most people. Some people can, um, but flip a switch one day you're eating, you know, you're eating um, meat and the next day you're full on vegan. So I appreciate that Topaz was able to share her story of how she got there, but it wasn't, it wasn't overnight. No, these things never are. I don't think you, like you say, it's a process. And Mike, what else stood out for you in this part of the conversation? Um, the mistakes that, that copywriters make that we all make, um, uh, and in terms of, uh, certainly in terms of, of, um, uh, the writing that we do is promising too much up front. Oh yeah. Um, because there's a tendency, there's a, there's a tendency among copywriters. You say, you know, um, you, you do this, and this will happen immediately, um, and and all your all your problems will be solved, and everything. But we know the world isn't like that. Um, it's it's a lot of copy has to manage expectations uh, in many ways, uh, and people these days, I think, appreciate when you're honest. You're not going to have a miracle cure if you take this magic pill. You know, it might take the miracle cure might take a while. You might get the cure, but it won't, might not happen straight away if you see what I mean. So, in terms of the actual promises you make, just be realistic about them. Um, and I think that's that's the the major the, the major major mistake that that a lot of not even just beginner copywriters make that they 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 they, they, they I think. Marketing and copywriting is changing over the last few years, and you can't do this kind of this kind of pile them high, sell them cheap type of thing anymore. It doesn't work. So you've got to be, and and customers will appreciate honesty um, with with from from your from whatever whatever thing they're they're looking to purchase. Um, that's not to say you should do it down. You know, you're making your promises, but you're making your promises honestly. Yeah. And that was a really good reframe for me. And that part of the conversation with Topaz, because, you know, I'm as a marketer, like all of us, I'm all about the big promise. And like, and oftentimes we're talking to other copywriters. It's like, well, what is your promise? Cause oftentimes it's not specific enough. It's not big enough. And I do think there's something to this where, okay, what is the smallest, like, what is the tiniest promise you could make that mm you know, you can stand behind and it's just, and it's believable and it'll help, you know, it'll help your customer gain that momentum and then Mm. more is possible after that. So I think it'll help to think about it in terms of tinier promises that are more believable and feel better all around um, rather than always feeling like we have to go so big. So, and then you, then you can make little promise, incremental promises almost, especially if you're doing it over a, a sequence of emails, for example, um, you can break your promises down because sometimes the promises just sound too too big to be credible. Yeah, and while we're talking about mistakes, so another mistake that um, Topaz mentioned, and I think you know many of us struggle with this, is 
charging, charging too little. And yes. so, you know, she mentioned that she has um, some, you know, some copywriter buddies and you mentioned community and the importance of community and the copywriter accelerator. This is where having a community can really help, whether it's a couple people, whether it's more than that, but a couple other copywriters, content creators who understand our space well enough to be able to advise. It doesn't mean they have to have all the answers, but they're in mm. our world. <laughs> mm. It's not necessarily our best friend who's working in a different industry. Um, it's not necessarily like our partner who does not understand marketing, oh, okay. um, but having those people mm. you can go to and say, Hey, I'm about to send this proposal. Can you take yeah. a quick look? I'm like, I need a gut check on what I'm about to charge, especially if you feel like you consistently undercharge it's so important to share your proposal with someone before you hit send because that one step can <laughs> increase your return on investment and increase that return um, dramatically. And so I think that's something that Topaz is doing. It's, it's working well. I've seen it work well behind the scenes with other copywriters that have asked me to look at proposals. Um, mm. But it's worth, it's worth doing that if you know this is a consistent problem in your business. I do think if there's one thing that that trips copywriters up almost the most is is pricing yeah. and having somebody to be able to to talk about it to is just invaluable um be, because whatever the reasons are we don't want to we don't want to upset clients or something we, we but we have great trouble understanding our value um and and one of the the big advantages of community is if it's kind of brushing your ego almost it's it's saying yes i am good at this and i yes i am worth this so having having a community of people to talk to um is is just invaluable as well on on that particular particularly on pricing because we all none of us price enough Yes. And um, the last point I want to hit on before yeah. we wrap is we talked a, a little bit about how Topaz has been able to build her network and find clients. And she mentioned attending events, attending mm -hmm. industry events. And you know now that events are, are, are kind of back, um, this is such a great way to find clients in a way that feels natural and um yeah. And, and it's clearly working for Topaz. So I think it's just another reminder of how important it is to find an event where your customers, your clients are hanging out and it's, you know, your industry is there or there are people who share similar values um, and that they could be potential clients. And so that's different for everyone. And sometimes it's hard mm. to travel. There's not always a budget for travel. It's hard to take time away, but it might be worth just looking at one event per year where it's the right people in the right room and you can show mm -hmm. up and build five relationships that could turn into future work. Completely. Because it is a long game networking. Um, yes. you, you, you'd be very lucky to come out of it. I mean, I've done an awful lot of networking over the years and you'd be very lucky to come out of an event with a job in your hand. There's, there's going to be the first conversation, the second conversation, the third conversation. And it could it could take months, even years, sometimes. Um, so, but doing the groundwork, yeah, going to events, um, meeting people, just just sitting down and having a cup of coffee with them, just talking about nothing in particular. It's all about kind of getting to know people on a on a human level. Yep, and um, make sure if you have coffee with Mike, 
that you it do not put milk in it. This is what I have learned. <laughs> this is what I have learned about you, Mike. No milk. No milk. Sorry. All right. Well, let's get back into our interview to hear a lot more about what's happening in the cruelty-free industry. I would love updates, just kind of what's happening, the trends that are happening in the cruelty-free space, you know, especially in beauty, sustainable fashion, like just share with us kind of where, where marketing is in that space, where you see opportunities for other copywriters. Amazing. So plant-based foods are selling for billions this year. As of 2020, it was a industry that was estimated to be $7 billion worth of revenue. That's almond milk, vegan meat, vegan bacon is in there, plant-based cheeses and so on. And it turns out it's not as niche as we might think. Some 35% of Americans are looking for plant-based alternatives. And that includes my meat-eating boyfriend who loves all things prosciutto and Parmesan and salmon, but loves to drink almond milk from time to time. So this is a big indicator for copywriters that this is a highly profitable industry, but there's not that many people that are niched in it. So a lot of these brands hire in-house copywriters and sort of form them into copywriters for their brand. But if you were a freelancer and you were the vegan copywriter or like me, the cruelty-free copywriter, you're kind of at a competitive advantage in this billion-dollar industry. So I decided with my morals and my values that this was the best niche for me. I would also say too that outside of food, some 73% of people are looking to support cruelty-free brands, even if their parent company isn't cruelty-free. Like if a beauty brand is launching a brand new plant-based line that's cruelty-free, consumers would likely be interested, even if the parent company has had some controversial history in their previous beauty formulations. And so at this point, consumerism is moving in the direction of clean beauty, plant-based foods, fashion that doesn't pollute the environment or is made of natural uh, plant-based materials like cactus leather or, or apple or mango leather. These are the kinds of things that are growing and there's not enough copywriters to fill those roles. I see it all the time on LinkedIn clean beauty copywriter or copywriter for plant-based CPG brands. And of course, I'm one person. There's no way I could do all of that. But if there were more copywriters in this niche, I'm, there's definitely enough for everybody. Um, so that's what I'm seeing. As far as the copy goes, I think it's beneficial to, to know who buys these things. Yes, my boyfriend is a millennial, but the Gen Z generation is taking over the plant-based cruelty-free market. Um, they've sort of inherited a lot of environmental issues from previous generations. And this Gen Z group is looking to use consumerism and activism and work with conscious brands to sort of right the wrongs of previous gen uh, or of previous groups. And so it's a great opportunity that if you're a copywriter who likes speaking to Gen Z, you like TikTok, you like the channels that Gen Z are on, you understand maybe their their gripes with the environment or their gripes with the economy or their gripes with, with, uh, with the food system, then you might be able to speak to their needs really well in this niche. And so 
I find it fun. Um, for me, the cruelty-free niche has a lot of memes. It has a lot of humor. It has a lot of activism involved. And that really keeps me connected to to this generation as, as a millennial. So I think there's a great opportunity here for copywriters who want to work with brands that make impact, that are environmentally friendly, s- sustainable, against animal cruelty, you know, people really making an impact and step into a copywriting role that's ever-changing and exciting. So while we're talking about the opportunities for this industry, how do you connect with clients in the industry? Are you pitching? Are you going to events? Are you reaching out online? Like, How do you identify the clients in your niche? Oh, that's such a great question. I have a few ways of generating leads, primarily through relationship building. I know that's a long, you know, it's kind of like a long way of doing it, but it seems to pay off more. So for me, I like to go to conferences. For for example, this October, there's the Vegan Fashion Summit happening in Los Angeles. That's where all my all my um, vegan, plant based, sustainable fashion brands will be. And I bought the most expensive VIP ticket so that I could be in the rooms with these people, build relationships, get my card out there, and show them that I understand and care about their niche. That's what I like to do. Um, also, sometimes I like to pay these people a visit. So I was in Mexico City a few months ago, and I realized that there's a bunch of sustainable fashion brands in Mexico City. Cactus leather is a really big thing. A lot of brands are making it. And I looked up a brand near me on Instagram that makes cactus leather. And it just so happened they were in Mexico City. So I reached out to them on Instagram and said, hey, I've been a fan. I follow you guys. I love your work. Any chance I can visit your studio? They're like, absolutely, come over. They're they're an e-commerce brand. So of course they don't engage with people face-to-face very often. So it's kind of exciting. I walk into there. I walk into their small studio. It's a two-person operation, but they feel like they're um, a big brand. And they're so honored to have me in their room that they give me a great bag for a discount. They're like, just share this with people. After that session, I took home the bag. I shared it on social media. They really engaged with me. And now the founder wants to have an Instagram live with me. That's a really small accomplishment. But what I'm doing is building trust with the brands. Because a lot of the time, if in my uh, personal experience, when I pitch, it falls hollow. Brands know that I'm just there for the money or I'm just there to tell them what they want to hear. Maybe my values aren't really there. But when I show up at their fashion show, at their studio, I connect with the, with the CEO, I build a relationship. I'm more like a friend and someone that they can come to when they need me versus someone just looking for work. And so that's a long-term strategy, but it's paid off dividends. At this point, I've had clients now, retainer for years, um, that I've built a relationship with and they know me and trust me and and that's how I like to do it. If it's a brand new business that I'm um, kind of Facebook stalking, I'll use my social media as a way to promote them. So I'll follow them, I'll purchase one of their products with my business card and I'll put a photo and say, this is the best cruelty-free sunscreen I've ever had. The brand notices, they get interested they notice that I'm a copywriter. They just put it into their back pocket at this point. They don't really know they need one yet. And two months later, when their copywriter decides to leave, 
I'm the, I'm the first one that they think of. So things like that are not so aggressive, but I find that they produce longer term, trustworthy retainer clients that don't want to lowball you because they understand that you're more like a colleague or a friend and not quite someone just to provide the service and throw away. So that's been my success tip. Part of my 10K months are retainer. Actually, 90% of them are retainer clients and only a few are one off. And I think as copywriters, that's how we can build our businesses long term is to maintain those relationships, keep the, the, the retainer clients happy and help them grow their brands and be there along the way. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about like the 10K. How do you get there every month. So can you talk more about your retainers, how you structure them? We've had many conversations on this podcast about different ways to structure retainers. How do you do it so that you don't burn out and that you maintain your boundaries? Most of my retainers have the same deliverable every month. They need a certain amount of emails every month. They need a certain amount of articles every month. They need a certain amount of social media content every month. They, they need something every single month. And so how I structure it is they know every 17th of the month, I have their deliverable. But every first Tuesday, we have our meeting and it's scheduled. It's scheduled all throughout. They know that they know the dates in, in which I will have drafts. They know the dates in which things will be finalized. They know that they know how many revisions we will have. And I stick to their deadlines. That's typically how I do it. I, I keep everything scheduled. So all of my retainer clients have time time on my calendar until the end of the year. And it's just theirs and they know it. And I know how long it takes me to write a new web page or a new landing page that's coming up or a new sales page. And because I'm familiar with these brands, I know their voice, their tone, their products in and out. I know who they speak to, who their audience is. And so the learning curve is reduced when they're retainer. You don't have to learn a new audience every month. You know exactly who you're talking to and it can make the time to do that work efficient. So for me, I used to work with a client that asked me to produce a couple of things a month and that took me three hours a piece. Now it takes me one hour a piece. And so and my rates have only gone up. So while my rates have gone up, the time it's taken me to learn the brand, to write the, to write the copy, to do the work, to edit has decreased, which has allowed me to save my time and increase my income. But again, I think that's partially because I don't have the learning curve of having a brand new client every month that I have to talk to and learn and figure out and all that. We all know each other very, very well and we can make it efficient. So at this point I have three or four retainer clients every month and maybe a new person sprinkled in once in a while. And those retainer clients keep me on their payroll. They pay me every month at the same time and we meet every month at the same time. So that's how I maintain that 10K consistently. And of course it fluctuates if the new person, a random job comes in, but most of the time it stays the same. So while we're talking about these, I know one of your retainer clients is a large technology company. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you're allowed to say their name or not, but I'm curious how you made that connection and scored yourself a year-long contract with literally one of the, the largest tech companies you know, in, in the world. A lot of us would dream of working with. How did you, how did you go about scoring that kind of a contract? Awesome. I won't reveal the big tech company, but we've all 
we all know of this company and we all have used this company services in some way, shape or form. I scored this brand purely by having a great LinkedIn profile. I um, used my time on LinkedIn to update my profile, use the correct words that brands are looking for. I changed my title from copywriter to copywriter and content strategist. People are looking for strategists and I know that. Strategy was a skill that I had, but I didn't own it before. So when I updated my profile on, on LinkedIn to include the word strategist, that's when a lot of tech companies, not just this one, were like, we're looking for a strategist, we're looking for a strategist. This one uh, had a recruitment officer come and approach me. They looked through my profile and said, you know, this company's looking for someone like you. Would you be interested in doing a contract? At this point, I didn't have any uh, expectations for getting it. I'm like, this is a very competitive company. A lot of people wait years, months, and perhaps never get an opportunity to even see the inside of this company. Let's see. I had low expectations, but I went through the process. It took about a month, five interviews, and I scored a six-month contract as a strategist. This was a big deal because... As we all know, and I think, uh, Rob, you know, you work with a lot of tech companies too. The pay for tech companies is really high and it can really make, if you're a freelancer and you're doing things on the side, it can really make your other work feel less stressful when you have one big tech client to pay most of your bills. So that's how that happened. And I went from working 40 hours a week for 36K to working much less hours with my contract tech company and doubling that or nearly tripling that just with the contract client alone. And so it's been amazing. This client is so dedicated to people. I know it, it sounds strange because most of the time we think tech companies are kind of like evil and not really uh, interested in humans and they just kind of want to make money. But this tech company really wants users to feel like they're useful. They really want to be helpful. And that was really nice for me to go into a company thinking, oh, it's probably just for money. And it was so much more genuine than that. So that surprised me and humbled me as a copywriter who is kind of focused on the sales. I'm focused on the sales. I need to get the sales. But to work with a company that said, listen, we're going to make sales anyway. What we really want you to do is make sure that our customers feel really seen here really supported, really acknowledged, like really cared for in our space. And so that was a really great experience. And this company just so happens to be really great at SEO. And so I've learned uh, the secrets of SEO <laughs> that have given me a competitive advantage in my copywriting business too. So this is another great example of how contracts or full-time roles can teach you something that you can get paid to learn something that makes you more competitive. So I've been with this company for eight months. Um, my contract ends very soon in December, but trust me, I would love to renew. Okay. Well, uh, so many questions about this and paying attention to the time though. So as a strategist, you know, what are you doing as a strategist that may be different from what other copywriters are doing who are not showing up as a strategist? I would say strategists are looking at the bigger picture. They're almost in a, in a content or copy manager role, almost like a brand marketing manager role. They have to see the bigger picture of 
sales, but also analytics, um, the funnel, why a customer may or may not want to engage with a product or service. They have to think about what a VP of marketing might, what might keep a VP of marketing up at night. They also have to keep those pieces into their brain as well as execute. I think copywriters can sometimes get stuck in the execution phase. And I'm totally guilty of this where someone else has thought about the angle. Someone else has given you the pitch. Someone else has given you the brief with the, with what you should say and what you shouldn't say. And you don't really have to think about it. You can just execute on the copy. You can just write what they ask you to write, but a strategist has to go above and beyond and think a little bit harder about it. And I think the, the consequences are harsher too. If your strategy doesn't work, you know, clients aren't super happy with you, (laughs) but if you're a copywriter and your copy doesn't work, you know, you can tweak it, edit it. It's not as intense. And so I would say, even though a strategist role might be a little bit more competitive, intense, difficult, more brain heavy, I think it's a really valuable asset to bring with your copywriting skill set because you become a knowledge house. You begin to know the full funnel of how a customer might be introduced to a brand all the way down to the checkout. And I think that makes, that can make any copywriter more competitive. And if you're already doing strategy as a copywriter, put that on your LinkedIn profile, say that you've helped a client think through a campaign that they've, that they were struggling with and had amazing sales from, or that you've done some email strategy, definitely put that S word there because um, that's what many businesses and brands are looking for. They're, They're looking for you to be an executor, but also a mastermind of their brand. Yeah. I'm going to go do that right now. You all, you got, y'all stay tight. <laughs> go on LinkedIn and add strategist to my title. That's right. I can, I, as soon as you mentioned that Topaz, I, I envisioned like half of our listening audience jumping on to LinkedIn to update, <laughs> update their titles, what they do. So I know we're going to run out of time here and I really would love to hear a little bit of, I mean, you mentioned when we first started talking that you did all these courses as you started to launch your business. And one of those courses was the copywriter accelerator. And obviously we like talking about it because, you know, it's one of the things that we do, but talk specifically about the impact that that had on your business. You know, what are the things that you took away from that that have helped you? Awesome question. The accelerator changed my life. For a while, I was so scared to invest because I'm looking at the price. I'm a new copywriter. I'm nervous. I don't know if it'll pay off. But something in my gut kept bringing me back to the landing page of the accelerator. And I'm like, if I really want to do this business thing, I just need to go for it. Like, I just need to like go for it. So I found the money somewhere and enrolled. And for me, the it was so powerful to have... Rob and Kira to just to be live to answer those questions. We, all of us, all the people in our, in our cohort had so many questions and some of them I thought these are silly questions, but then the answers were so articulate and helpful. I'm like, wow, I can ask these two people anything. So having access to you two as experts was so awesome for me. It changed my understanding of, of what I know and don't know. And I think that's helpful for a new copywriter. Another thing that helped me and transformed me was the niching conversation. 
I know some people like to be generalists. Some people like to niche. I am definitely in the niching camp. I think doing the accelerator and learning, walking through with Kira and Rob, my unique voice, my unique interest, my unique skill set, and tailoring that into a niche that I really wanted to do um, empowered me to seek those clients that I wanted to work with and also get the reward for my expertise that I really needed. That was powerful financially, personally, morally, economically, and all the all the ways. I also we also had that conversation about raising rates. I shared that earlier, but definitely that conversation happens in the accelerator. Raise your rates today. That is a transform that's a transformational thing to tell to a new copywriter who's nervous and scared and like doesn't have a portfolio and, and isn't sure if they deserve a certain rate for their work. And so the accelerator gave me the confidence to raise my rates, to be honest about my value and my worth, and to be in a group of people who also were clapping for me that I did something that was really scary, but good for my business. And the accelerator also had a session on processes, changed my life as well, getting my processes together onboarding, customer service, invoice protocols, getting my my uh, project management software nailed down. All those things are fundamentals that we may not know as a new copywriter that the accelerator really helped me shape my brain around and has made my customer service onboarding process with clients so much smoother than it was before. I think the, the accelerator gives you the boundaries, the know-how, the skills, the honesty to not make those silly mistakes and to catapult a business into a really professional place. And so for me, I wouldn't have made my first 10K month, my first or or my on track to be six figures this year without the accelerator. It was super crucial to my growth and development. And I would definitely recommend to any copywriter who is kind of in that middle phase, they've already started their business. They know what they want. They know they have the skill set. They just haven't professionalized yet to do consider the accelerator. It's it's such a great value for what you get in the long run. Thank you for all of that. I'm going to pull it in as voice of customer and add it to the sales page. It was just beautiful, <laughs> elegant, well said. And it's been incredible just to see you take off in your business in this niche, in this growing industry that's so exciting and and world changing. So it's been so cool. I'm curious what's next for you, what you're excited about. It feels like there's so many opportunities. What are you most excited about? I am most excited about really getting deep into sustainable fashion. I'm so obsessed with apple leather boots and cactus leather purses and I and want them. They're so fabulous. They're so fabulous and I'm I've always been interested in fashion but I've never been a copywriter like for a fashion brand. And so for me having a lot more expertise in that area would is the next step for me getting really deep into sustainable fashion, building relationships with brands who are really trying to make s- sustainable footwear or, or sustainable clothing and really getting those goods into the hands of people and reducing the amount of waste we have with our current fashion industry. I would love to do that um, and just really get more more people in touch with the benefits of sustainable fashion. And 
I would also love to get my first full-time social media manager. Not full-time, let me say part-time contract social media manager and free myself up to write more. That is the short-term goal in the next six to six months to one year. You might have some social media managers that reach out to you after this episode. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I might have to track myself. I don't wear a lot of leather, but an Apple leather belt or something like that, that might, uh, you know, I might have to track that but you down. You can't eat so. it. You can't eat it. Oh, it's not very tasty now. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> well, never mind then. Never mind. <laughs> so Topaz, uh, if somebody, you know, wants to connect with you, hang out with you, you know, find out more about the cruelty-free niche, where should they go? What can they do? Sure. So anyone that's interested can visit me on my website. That's www.cruelty-free-copywriter.com, all one word. Or you can find me on Instagram at cruelty-free-copywriter. Uh, and LinkedIn at uh, the cruelty free copywriter too. It's like you own the niche. You're the you're the person there. Yeah. I I own it. I was surprised to see that nobody had stolen that word or those three words, cruelty free copywriter. I was like, I need to get this right now. Um, it's such a great name, and so I own that. And uh, you can find me anywhere on those platforms at cruelty free copywriter. Awesome. Thank you so thank much, you. Topaz. We appreciate you, and thank you. And that's the end of our interview with Topaz Hooper. Before we jump into LinkedIn and add a new title, add strategist to our LinkedIn profiles, thank you, Topaz, there are a couple of things worth worth noting, worth highlighting. So Mike, why don't you kick it off? What what resonated with you from this? Yeah, the, 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 the cruelty-free industry has, has really ballooned in the last five five or 10 years. It's now, in the, in the US, at least a $7 billion industry, which is kind of quite difficult to conceive in terms of the actual um, of the actual numbers. And it's a room where a lot of copywriters can, can just jump right in because there's not many in the space even now. Where is this niche moving? It can only get bigger really now because because um and it's not just in in the food sector um which is moving beyond all recognition but it's in the non-food in in we were talking about um apple derived products or 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 cactus or there's i mean there's all kinds of other things that that the technology is just i find it mind-blowing it's science fiction as far as i'm concerned um and and who knows where it's going to go in the next five years it's yeah i mean it seems like part of this is paying attention i mean not only to your own purchasing habits which we we mentioned earlier you know what what am i purchasing mm -hmm. and um again even though i'm not vegan we end up purchasing a lot of plant-based foods just because i'm curious and most of the time i'm curious i'm like how could this possibly taste like chicken i'm gonna order it and see what it yeah. tastes like. And then I get it. I'm like, this is really good. And so um, I tried it. <laughs> it's paying attention to your own purchasing uh, history and those patterns. And not to say that one, you know, one person represents um, the, every single customer in that space, but also having conversations with friends, family members, mm -hmm. paying attention to what's happening outside of your bubble to understand the trends and Completely. what's happening mm -hmm. outside of it. And I think even just listening to this conversation with Topaz is such a great reminder that this is going to continue to grow as there's more and more demand 
Um, mm. And there's more education um, in this space around the benefits to our planet and to our health. And so um, it's worth paying attention to these industries that are booming and taking off. And we talked about blockchain um, with Joel a couple episodes ago. That's one that is exciting because it's taking off. And this is another one that I think it's worth paying attention to, especially if it calls to you um, because Topaz is one of, you know, one of the few copywriters that has really niched down in in this space Mm. and is really owning it. So there's so much room for so many of us to, to start working in this space too. And and I'm not sure even, even that under understates the importance of it because it's not just millennials and Gen Z, Gen Z. Gen Z's, Gen Z's, um, it's kind of old boomers like me that are certainly far more aware of what we're consuming, the kind of the plastic that we use, it, right across the spectrum. The world is changing, and and the market is responding to that. I think it's it's people led rather than market led. And I think that's so exciting, right? I can I can get really depressed. I mean, we can have a whole episode about like existential crisis and where we're all going. But I think the exciting part that kind of pulls me out of complete depression is all these solutions that are coming to the forefront. And these yep. are solutions. It these are this. I mean, because we're talking about plant based products today, this is so exciting and gives me hope. And it also, as a copywriter and marketer it's such a great opportunity like selfishly it's like this is a great opportunity for all of us Mm. when people say well what's going to happen to copywriting are the robots taking over no we we can pay attention to this space and the way that the market's Mm. changing so that we can jump in as copywriters and serve these audiences and these brands that need help with their messaging so i think this is an exciting opportunity you're Um, right it would be very it would be very i mean certainly someone of my age would be very kind of easy for me to kind of think, oh, woe is me. What's the world coming to? But to be quite frank, I'd love to be 30 years younger than I am now, apart from for the obvious reasons, just because of everything that's going on. Because I'd I'd love to see where it's going to be in 30 years if I make it. Yeah. Um, It's it's, it's a wonderful time to be alive. Oh, okay. This I'm going to give a book shout out because I feel like it fits in here. But I'm re- currently reading um, William McCaskill's oh. "What We Owe the Future," uh, which is also um, a helpful way of looking at future generations to come and thinking. And it, it's helpful for people again like me mm. who can feel very depressed about many things that are happening, and it gives a more positive, hopeful reframe about what we can do uh, to make a change and affect. Uh, generations to come so um okay i think we as as writers we are in a in a position of responsibility as well yes it's it's our it's almost our duty to 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 carry this message to the world yeah i think it's i think about that a lot because i'm like am i doing enough with what i've got and you know and is it copywriting is it is it what this i'm currently doing and i often come back to I do believe that copywriters are so important as we change and evolve mm-hmm. because we are the messengers. We are, we Completely. can communicate better than anyone. And that's what we need mm-hmm. now is communication because the change is happening so rapidly. And so I do think what our role as copywriters and communicators is 
a huge part of this process. Um, so I feel, mm. I, I think responsibility is the right word. I'm glad that you mentioned that. Yeah. And, and, and just, we, we, we are catching the moving train <laughs> at the moment. Um, yes. It's, it's and, and I, I don't know about you, but I'm hanging on to it for dear life because it's, it's the way, it's the way to go. Yeah. I think that's a great way. Yes. Yes. I'm hanging on too. <laughs> okay. So before we do wrap, I might selfishly, because again, the copywriter accelerator is open for a short period of time. Mm -hmm. uh, Topaz was able to share her experience. I'm curious, Mike, you know, we talked a little bit about transformation today. Mm -hmm. What was the transformation, even though, you know, you're still, you're still transforming, but what was the transformation that came out of the copywriter I, accelerator? I, I think um, what really struck me was that I was, I'd been a, I can't remember how long I've been a translator for because I, I, I sorry, translator, copywriter for, because I was a translator 25 years ago and I morphed into being a copywriter. So there was a period six, seven, eight years ago. I can't remember, but I was doing okay. I was bobbing along. I was paying the bills, but I wasn't, I wasn't setting the world on fire as a copywriter because I think I was a generalist and I had no real plan. What the accelerator gave me was a plan. And, and and I felt a lot better about my own business, about my own self-esteem, really, about my, my confidence in what I could do and, and and what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. Um, years ago, when I was a translator, someone said to me, there's two types of translator, the specialist and the hungry. And it's so important to get not necessarily you don't necessarily need to niche down as much as as much as topaz has but but at least in work out what you want to do and what you don't want to do to give yourself a certain sense of purpose and that's what the accelerator forced me to do really um it because it put me in front of some difficult choices so, some of the some of the workbooks were were, were difficult to complete but if, it, if it's not difficult, it's not worth doing, as I say. Thank you, Mike, for sharing for sharing that. And I teased your book earlier, but I didn't actually, or we didn't mention what your book is about. So can you just tease that real quick before just, we just start? Very yeah, very much a teaser. Um, it's about all, all, it's about our stories, our our little stories, our little everyday stories. Um, I've, I've, well, I've called it stories that matter. And subtitle, for, at least for now, is the everyday stories of extraordinary business people, because that's they are the ones that are important. If you want, to, if you want the rags to riches, go and read, you know, Elon Musk. Go and read Richard Branson. They're very, they're very nice. They're very good books. You probably learn something from them. But we can't relate to that kind of success. What's important? I don't want to be a gazillionaire, to be honest. Uh, what's important is the people like us trying to earn an honest living in our own little way and in our own little way, trying to make the world a better place. Topaz as well. And we want to thank Topaz for joining us on the podcast today. If mm -hmm. you want to connect with Topaz, you can find her at Cruelty Free Copywriter. And we'll also link to Topaz's website in the show notes so you can connect directly with her. If you want to check out other episodes, you could check out episode 253, not that long ago, with Laura Briggs about successful freelancing. 
And this was one of our most listened to episodes in 2021. And that's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please visit Apple Podcasts to leave a review for the show. Oh, this is where, Mike, you need to just like beg for reviews. That's what we usually do. Um, okay, I beg for reviews. Oh, please leave the <laughs> please visit Apple Podcasts to leave. We are desperate for podcast reviews. Um, we will read your review out loud. If you are able to give us a review, uh, we appreciate it. And uh, if you are interested in the Copywriter Accelerator, again, you can check out the links to explore that program in the show notes. Thank you uh, again, Mike, for co-hosting with me today. I appreciate you giving me your time and sharing uh, your perspective and thoughts on this episode. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Rob. Club.